Amen. Well, um, we're, we've been um, uh, down at St. Andrews and St. Michael's. We've been working our way over these last few weeks. Uh, we've been taking five weeks to, to work through um, what... Actually, what I was given is five things to prioritise in the job description when I applied to come and be the team uh, rector of Melksham. And uh, they, on, the, on the job description, uh, I rung up Archdeacon Sue when I said, oh, I've seen the parish profile for Melksham, thinking about putting in an application. She said, the most important thing is you pay attention to these five priorities, which they have outlined that they want any successful candidate to uh, come and focus on uh, in the parish. So, oh gosh, I've got to go away and bean up on you know what, what, what these five things are and show evidence of how I'm going to kind of um, say that I've prioritised them in the past and try and persuade the bishop that uh, in the interview that uh, these are going to be my five priorities as well. And so in the absence of any better uh, applicants, I was given the job to come here. Um, but rather than kind of ditch them um, and come up with new ones or try and smuggle in my own priorities, I guess I've just wanted to take them really seriously and say, well, look, if these are the things that the PCC and the church wardens and the bishop and the archdeacon and so on think we need to prioritise as a church, then we better prioritise them. Um, so we, what we've been doing is, um, and I'm sorry that we're sort of launching in week four out of five up here at Beanacre, um, if you like, but if anybody's feeling enthusiastic, uh, you can listen in on the others um, on the website where they're recorded. But um, uh, we've been taking five weeks to spend a week on each one. And our prayer is really that they will, they will become our priorities as a parish and that they will sort of seep into the DNA and the culture of our community. Uh, what are they, we might be wondering. Um, uh, they are evangelism, discipleship, worship, pastoral care, and reaching the next generation. Evangelism, sharing our faith with others. Discipleship, going deeper in faith, ourselves growing from being perhaps acquaintances of the Lord Jesus to committed wholehearted followers of the Lord Jesus renewing worship uh, uh, pastoral care that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning and reaching the next generation is next week so this week we're, we're thinking this morning about pastoral care and as we think about that subject I wonder what comes to your mind it's, it's I think we've probably all got an idea of what we're talking about but it's a funny word isn't it pastoral um I don't know whether you like classical music. I've always slightly struggled to get into classical music, but I do like a bit of Beethoven. And uh, I was just sort of thinking to myself this week that my favourite one of his has always been the Sixth Symphony, which is known as the Pastoral Symphony. So I was driving somewhere on Thursday, and I thought, well, I'll get in the mood for Sunday morning and put the Pastoral Symphony on, see if that helps with uh, thinking about pastoral care. I'm not sure whether it did. It was a very nice piece of music. Um, but the reason why that's called the Pastoral Symphony is because apparently Beethoven used to like taking long walks in the countryside and the, the word pastoral comes from the word pasture uh, some churches call their leaders pastors and that's because uh, pastor is latin for shepherd so uh, that's what a shepherd does doesn't he, he leads the flock into pasture the good shepherd as stanford has just said uh, leads me beside still waters and restores my soul and guides my path in righteousness and makes me lie down in green pastures so that's what pastoral really means pastoral care is looking after the flock and making sure that we're cared for and protected and well fed and so on and that's what jesus does for us he's the good shepherd but it's also what he asks us to do for each other so peter um remember what peter was told after the resurrection uh, jesus says to him peter do you love me he says of course i do jesus okay well feed my sheep that's what he was, he was continuing the analogy. And then, in fact, in, in Peter's letter, if you read 1 Peter in chapter 5, he says, 
that to those who are involved in, in church leadership, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care and be ready for the chief shepherd when he appears. So if you like, Jesus is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, but we're his under-shepherds. If we like, we're all the flock, we're all sheep caring for each other, and that's what pastoral care really is. Well, okay, so what, did, what should that look like, and what should that look like for our church? Um, in the upper room, just before his arrest, the good shepherd said these words to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, which we've just read. And I want to focus particularly on verse 34 and verse 35 this morning, and to come at them under three headings, um, all beginning with E. Jesus gives us an exhortation, an explanation, and an example. He gives us an exhortation to pastoral care. Uh, He gives us an explanation why it's necessary. And then he gives us an example of what pastoral care looks like. So that's those that's what we're those are the three three headings. So first of all, Jesus gives us an exhortation. Have a look down at verse 34 if you've got it there. (coughs) Here's an exhortation. Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's strong language, isn't it? Um, Jesus doesn't sort of suggest that we might want to think about uh, looking after and caring for and loving one another. He commands it. He commands it. You know, being a loving and pastorally caring community isn't sort of an optional extra for the church. Uh, Jesus absolutely requires it of us that we love one another. That was his command. I give you a command. Jesus regularly was asked, actually, what is the most important command? And he would always answer the same way. And he could summarise his answer with one word, to love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. What actually Jesus' brother James, later on in the New Testament, described as the royal law. It's rather lovely, isn't it? The royal law. King Jesus gave us this command. Love your neighbour as yourself. And uh, as we just said a minute ago, those are the two, there's no other commandment greater than these. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, the law, the prophets, that's a way of summarising the entire Bible. The books of the law, the books of prophecy, could all be summed up as an exhortation to love one another. One another is an interesting uh, little phrase, isn't it? To love one another. You may know that actually that phrase... um, it, well, it, it's repeated three times here. Anything that's repeated in the Bible, we ought to listen into. But look at verse 34. He says, love one another. And then again, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And that phrase, one another, comes 59 times in the New Testament. Um, three of them are here. But there's 59 in total. And all through the New Testament, the writers are encouraging us to... Well, to do various things for one another. We won't read them all, but let me just give you a flavour of what the New Testament says about what we must do for one another. It says to be at peace with one another, to be devoted to one another, to honour one another, to live in harmony with one another, to stop passing judgement on one another, to accept one another, to instruct one another, to greet one another with a holy kiss, to wait for one another, to have equal concern for one another, to serve one another, to carry one another's burdens, to be kind and compassionate to one another, to forgive one another, to submit to one another, to bear with one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to confess your sins to one another, to pray for one another, to offer hospitality to one another. We get the picture. Uh, I mean, uh, sometimes people say, um, they say something like, um, 
Or don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. You know, I, I remember somebody said, um, oh, I don't go to church. I have church in my bath. Somebody said that to me. I think I know what they mean. You know, they, 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 they don't like organised religion. They want to connect with God in their own, you know, perhaps they read the Bible or they pray or they put some worship music on or something like that. And it's just them and God. But I wonder, you know, what the expectation of Jesus was. Actually, how can you do all of that on your own? Jesus says you've got to do you, one another. That was, that's his expectation. I think Jesus isn't talking about just me and God and just my private faith. He says that being a Christian involves one another. In fact, one writer, I love this, one writer said that the primary activity of the church is one anothering one another. And I think we get what he means when we hear that list of what the New Testament expects us to do for one another. And the most famous one another sentence of all is this, one which appears something like 15 or 16 times in the New Testament and three times here in these verses to love one another the exhortation St. Jerome um, St. Jerome uh, translated the Bible into Latin in about the 4th or 5th century and his translation the Vulgate uh, was the main Bible that the church used for about a thousand years and St. Jerome passed on an anecdote which people who knew St. John had handed down. And St. John, obviously, he wrote John's Gospel. And uh, John was the only one of the apostles who lived to old age. All the others were martyred. Um, But John was there as an old man in the church. And so you can imagine what that must have been like. The second generation of Christians have arrived, the third, the fourth, probably, by the time he was in his 90s. He would have been a young man, perhaps in his 20s, when Jesus was around, but now it's the end of the first century. Come on, John, tell us a story. You know, we've, yeah, we've read your gospel, but give us a bit of, you know, behind the scenes. What was it like with Jesus? What did he say? Tell us a little something. And so St. Jerome passed on this anecdote. He said, um, the blessed John the Evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church. Can you imagine that? Carrying St. John to church. Pop, pop him in the corner and get him to tell a story. And he couldn't muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but little children love one another. And the disciples and brothers in attendance, annoyed because they always heard the same words, finally said, teacher, why do you always say this? He replied, because it's the Lord's commandment. And if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. They're all going, come on, tell us something different. And John, who was so profoundly impacted by what Jesus said in this upper room, could never say anything else. Just love one another. That's what Jesus said. The exhortation. Well, why, secondly? What's the explanation? You know, it might say, well, isn't it self-explanatory? Well, you know, wouldn't it be brilliant if the world just got on with this? And wouldn't it be brilliant if, the world, if everybody in the world just loved one another? It'd be a lot, the world would be a much better place self-explanatory but actually Jesus gives another explanation I think because we know that um, that's not going to happen 2,000 years later we've struggled to actually get our heads around this and the world is full of pain and division and hatred frankly and I think that's why he what he wants to say is that he is expecting his followers to lead the way that's really the explanation look at verse 35 Jesus says by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He wants everyone else to know that the church is a loving community. It's part of the, the church's witness. That's why. 
And that the, the, we mentioned those five things that the bishop and the PCC and so on wanted us to focus on. The first one was evangelism, sharing faith. Well, and this one's number four is pastoral care. You might think, well, they're completely different, sharing faith and loving each other. But actually, Jesus says, no, they're absolutely interlinked. They're, they're, in fact, our, our, our pastoral care is part of our evangelistic witness. The way that the world will know how powerful the love of God is is by the way that we love each other. That's what Jesus says. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And it's sad, isn't it, that the church has sometimes not, not been very good at that. It hasn't always been known as being a, a community that loves each other. And that hasn't been a very good witness, I don't think. I remember one time we were in Uganda about 15 years ago. And um, a friend of mine's a builder, and we were there for a fortnight to help build a, um, a medical centre, which was part of the school at the charity that we were linked to was building and I was there to kind of be a better, uh, extra pair of hands but also kind of for the experience and um, it was broadly it was kind of an Anglican thing but there were lots of there's lots of Christians in Uganda the Pentecostals the Baptists and the Catholics and, but my mate's dad who's not a Christian was there as well and he said something he was struck by the fact that these different churches didn't really work very well together in fact they didn't get on and they were squabbling and he said why should I be a Christian if you can't even get on with each other. And I was so embarrassed. And you think, well, that's, you've got a point, isn't it? And I think Jesus would be embarrassed of the way that we don't love each other because he's expecting everybody to be a positive witness to the world the way we love each other. And when we don't love each other, it's a bad witness to the world. But although the church has got a bit of a track record of uh, a mixed and patchy record, possibly, of obeying this command, we must, I bet all of us here, have been on the receiving end of an extraordinary, profoundly countercultural, sacrificial love which exists within the church. I hope you have. I certainly have. I think back to a similar time. I was about the same age. About, I was in my early 20s, and I suppose I was a bit of a sort of uh, spiritual crossroads, really, and I wasn't really sure whether I was going to church or what was going on for me faith-wise. I started going along to this new church. I got invited along to dinner by an old, much older couple. I was in my early 20s. They were well into their 70s. I suspect, possibly, he was in his 80s. George and Nora, they were called. The most amazing couple. And they come around on a Friday night. Well, that, this has never happened to me before. I've never been around to dinner with, with people who not, I haven't got anything in common with. And they just welcomed me and loved me and supported me and offered me hospitality and prayed for me and just befriended me. And I just thought, wow, these guys are the real deal. They must be followers of Jesus because they just want to love everybody, even me. Why would they have me round for dinner? It was unbelievable. And I think that what Jesus is saying here is he's expecting our church family to be the most countercultural, radically loving and caring community in our town. I think that's really what he's asking of us. People in Melksham ought to be able to look at the church and go, gosh, those guys love each other. I want something to do with that. That's what Jesus is saying. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because I'm not sure whether the necessary people in our town do look to the church and go, gosh, those guys really love each other. But that's what Jesus wants for us. Well, thirdly, how? How, how is this going to happen? And Jesus gives us an example. He explains in the second half of verse 34 how the love should work. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How are we to love one another? We're to love one another as Jesus has loved us. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, how did Jesus love us? Remember, Jesus said these words at the Last Supper. 
If you keep a finger in there, flick back to the start of the chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. Sorry, 13, verse 1. This is the context of this section. The section begins at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. What a sentence. He's going to climax. The the love is going to completely overflow now. So what does he do? Verse 4. Got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, poured water in a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Down to verse 12. And when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Can you imagine him doing this? Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, that's what I am. I am your teacher, I am your Lord. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. He set us an example. Does he want us literally to do that? I don't know. um, I think it was a cultural thing in the day, you know, you would turn up, it was dry and dusty and people wore sandals and it was dirty and, you know, you'd arrive at somebody's house and then, you know, just, can I wash your feet? You know, it was a bit like, can I take your coat? And there would be somebody to wash your feet. I think doing that today is a bit weird. We don't do that, do we? I, I, um, I, uh, I know that some churches have got a little bit of a tradition of washing each other's feet. I don't know about you. I always find it... I don't really want to get involved. That's a bit odd, I think, for us as 21st century people washing each other's feet. It's not culturally what we do. I think Jesus' example here is he's setting an example of sacrificial loving service. That's what he's doing. He's serving each other. I mean, the the Lord of the universe, the teacher and the Lord, is washing the feet. We were talking this weekend, we've just been down with some friends, my best mate, who I was his best man in October. We were catching up. I haven't seen them since the wedding. And we were asking them, how's married life going? How's, you know, and we are talking about these love languages. Have you come across this? You know, people, different people's love languages. And some people's love languages, quality time or physical touch or words of affirmation, this sort of thing. There's apparently five different love languages and you work out which one's your one and how do you love each other. Well, I, I'm not quite sure about this concept. But what I do know from this is I think that Jesus is saying that there's one love language which trumps all the others. He's setting the example of sacrificial service. Acts of service is one of those five. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's sacrificing himself, serving them. And I sometimes wonder, at the start, where it says, verse 1, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Okay, what's coming next? Is he talking, is the full extent of his love the foot washing? Or is it what's going to come the following day? Because actually, chapter 15, verse 12, which is all part of the same section, it's all one great big monologue, actually, after supper. And Jesus says, my command is this, he repeats himself, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he gives this famous, greater love, there's no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So, pastoral care. We're the sheep, we need looking after. He's the good shepherd, but he's entrusted the care to us to care for and to love each other. He's given us an exhortation, a command, get on with it. He's explained why, so that the world knows, and he's given us an example of how to do it. Well, just two practical things to mention as I sort of close. I think just practically, what does this look like for us as a, um, as a church family, as a team, as a parish? I think most pastoral care, 
um, happens quite informally, really. Um, you know, how much organisation needs to happen for pastoral care. I think it's something which the church ought to do for each other. I don't think George and Nora were told by the vicar to have me round for... You know, they just got on with it. I think it was quite informal that they did that. Um, but the church and the, the, the leadership of the church, I think, can help organise a couple of things. One is small groups. Um, I think the best way that I know to experience pastoral care and to give and receive all of those one another's to bear with one another, to offer hospitality to one another, to pray for one another, to carry one another's burdens. The best way I've ever seen of that actually happening is if people are in a small group. Because I think on Sundays, it's actually not always easy to be able to bear with one another and carry one another's burdens and to pray for one another because there's not enough time and there's too many people. And, but when you're in a small group that gets together every week to read the Bible, to pray and to care for and to love one another, that's the most amazing community within which pastoral care can take place and so i'd just like to encourage us i think people have been in small groups in the past and 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 maybe will be again in the future we've got a number in the parish which are um which are meeting um and we're hoping maybe there'll be a chance of setting up one or two new ones so if you would like to be in a group which really loves one another um have a word with me afterwards and um uh, yeah we'll see whether we can go i would love it if over the in due course um, that everybody who wanted to be in a group like that would have the chance to be. Um, but the second thing is that although a lot of pastoral care happens informally and some of it happens in those small groups, actually sometimes there's particular pressing pastoral needs for which we've got um, a pastoral team of lay pastoral assistants, LPAs, and I'm sure num- most of us will, might know about those. Um, there have been LPAs in the parish for a long time, but... Um, but Annie Winter, who I guess most of us know, um, has been doing a bit of coordinating and relaunching of this pastoral team. And so there are, I think, five people training to go through some particular sort of pastoral training um, to be commissioned specially to be a kind of pastoral team. Um, so that's brilliant. And um, I really hope that uh, the pastoral needs of the church will be met partly by this pastoral team. Just one small snag. All of these LPAs are ladies. Um, and uh, I think well, that's quite... <laughs> doesn't seem quite right, does it? Um, so it'd be great for us to pray, I think, that actually there might be one or two men in our church who would feel called to share in that pastoral ministry as well and trained to be specially commissioned to help to do what Jesus says and to love one another. Shall we pray?